It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Blood and Mud podcast, the podcast that has often wondered what it's like to talk about rugby on a Sunday until now. I mean, it feels strange kind of empowering in a weird way you know? <laughs> yeah so you know hot off the presses we will literally be the first opinions that people hear on a monday morning <laughs> after the road which is terrifying God. really but uh yeah how do people cope with that level of pressure oh, i know yeah thanks yeah. for joining us uh because you know we like to keep hello on the live stream if you're there um and oh. we'd like to keep you guessing as you know you know we have no episodes one week we have late episodes some weeks we have early episode. early episode this week. We see what we're going to do next week. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yes. Yeah. Week after we'll, next, we'll I'm, not, shock I'm not everyone. here. So, yeah. We'll shock everyone by being bang on time. <laughs> uh, and we also have some randomized guests every now and again. And speaking of yep. which, we're joined this week by formerly of Barry, now mostly of Prague, James Stafford. Hello, James. Hello. It's very nice and very nice surprise to be live. Sprung on me a few minutes ago that we're live. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't yeah, bother telling Jay. I just started new. I thought everyone knows us what we do now. But uh... <laughs> so welcome, Jay. It's great to have you. Just assuming that people know what we do on our podcast and live stream. Oh well. Well, I was up to. I had a second child recently, so until you must have gone live uh, after my second child, because um, <laughs> it's yeah. But no, it's been a while. So great to be back, and thanks, guys. <laughs> So the, the only it's only patrons that get to watch the live stream, and I imagine half of them will probably be tuning in tomorrow and going, "What the fuck is going on? And where are you?" But uh, so instead, we're here with the select few who've bothered paying attention to the messages we've been sending out. So welcome, James. Uh, we'll talk to you a little bit more in a minute about why you're here, but you've actually got a book coming out, haven't you? But we'll, and not just that, we've got going to talk to you about other stuff as well. But we're going to talk about that in a minute as well. So this is a Sunday night. So we're a bit busy this week, so we decided to do it on a, on a Sunday. How's how's your weekend been, Josh? Anything? Of excitement or note? Not really, mate. To be honest, been... you sounded a lot better. Although I do I miss, mean, I, I do miss sexy husky John. I'm, sli- I'm slightly <laughs> less gravel. I'm still a little bit gravelly. Like I can, I can make noises above the sound of a sort of you know sultry baritone this week, which 
We've had a lot of positive reports on your Alan Dell <laughs> chat while with your sexy husky voice. It was uh, almost too much sexuality in, in one section on the podcast. I know. I I've got mixed feelings about getting my voice back. I'll level with you. I might just permanently <laughs> try to sort of talk in that register and see where it gets me in life. So my weekend, I think people in the Facebook group... If you're <sighs> Big weekend for you. Big, Big weekend. weekend. Pimp My Packs 2023 has reached its climax. It's 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 climb packs, if you will. Hello. Thank you Hello. very much indeed. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So, James, you won't know because you don't listen to the pod and you've got far better things to do with your life. But I've I've been building IKEA wardrobes and I've been pimping them up. I've painted the doors. I've filled it in. I've built them in. I've done everything. This weekend, it's, it's really been good. Fun. Well, that's the complete contrast to me because I moved a flat five months ago. And we still haven't ordered our IKEA wardrobe, so all my I'm living out of boxes still. So you're like well in back. Damn straight. It's taken me a number of weeks, but it's finally there. And I did promise I'd post pictures in the Facebook group, and I have. And believe it or not, people do actually want to see this stuff. Wow. At least I that's what they tell me. I was. I mean, who doesn't want to sort of? You built it up so much. I, I mean, we have to see the results. I do like your little uh, customized alcove on the right that you've. Uh, I've repurposed kitchen pullouts into. Looks really good. good. Tell you, it's lovely. It's all very lovely. It's all done. It's all. I'm very happy to have finished it. So, uh, suggestions for my next project are welcome uh, on the Twitter. Speaking of which, if you want to get in touch with us, I'm at Blood and Mud on the Twitter or Lee at bloodandmud.com. But I think you all know that by now. But anyway, that's where I am. What about you, Josh? Uh, I mean, people surely know that it's that Josh, uh, Josh Gardner at this point, but you know. James, people may not know I was going to touch with you because yeah. you're completely new here. So how do people get in touch with you or find yeah. you if they want to after this? Either at JP Stafford or at the East Terrace on Twitter. It's probably the easiest way. The East Terrace still going then? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's been it's kind of much more of a st- I'm not doing the satire stuff now. I'm doing the more tax on the Welsh Rugby Union. We had a bit of success. We actually managed to get Ian Evans's autobiography put to him in front of the Senate the other week after the uh <laughs> <laughs> because um I have a bizarre brain for remembering stupid things. So when he became uh, chairman and had appealed to the smaller clubs, it just hit my brain that when his autobiography came out, which I hadn't read since I was, I don't know, 15, that I remember him having lots of rants against the WIU. So I dug them out, put them on the East Terrace, and they got read out to me in the committee hearing a few weeks ago. And he <laughs> didn't have a clue what to say. And he did his usual, he just read some platitudes, and Nigel Walker tried to step in to save him. So that was quite weird. One of my childhood... <laughs> kind of quite rightly I'm quite proud of making him feel very embarrassed and stuck on the yeah the sort of weird part of existing in this pseudo job is that you know occasionally you have to earn the ire of the people that you idolized growing up yeah but it's it's quite fun in a weird way I mean, to be fair, that wasn't an accident. I mean, you basically deliberately shit-housed him. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I've got a lot of time for it, but, you know, yeah, you must have just, known that was going to happen. It was just infuriating because, um, you know, he literally, everything he wrote in the book, because you people, some people said on Twitter, oh, that was, you know, what was it, 25, 30 years ago? And you're like, yeah, but if that was his view that the small clubs had too much power 30 years ago, what's happened in the last 30 years to mellow that view? You either have the same view or you should be more angry. You shouldn't be less angry. So he needs to have it put to him. And um, I wrote to a few journalists and one was going to do a piece, but eventually um, it got forwarded on to the committee. I did it, but also some other people forwarded on and it got read out to him and he was flummoxed, which was fun and depressing. So, yeah. There you go. 
So that's how people get in touch with you. We're also we're on the sports social network. There are people who host our podcast, and we're also on anywhere else you get podcasts from. Mostly on Apple, I think, but that's, uh, that's where yeah. most of our listeners are. We're also, as we know, we're on patreon.com slash and deliver. What, what, your money or your life? Blood and mud, where you <laughs> can come along and get extra episodes. One of which is a lovely interview with James here. We did a rugby life. When was that? Two, three years ago? Uh, it would have been 2021. 20, yeah, two years ago. Just over two years ago. Yeah. And that's because you had uh, your first book out at that yeah. point, didn't you? Um, and we'll, again, we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm. I'm, I'm Teasing these books like like you wouldn't believe, so people are going to stick around and listen to it. Honestly, so, you've never teased anything more. I know, I'll tell you what. But if you want to listen, to, if you want to get extra episodes, listen to that Rugby Life interview with James, lots of other things, uh, history episodes, access to the Facebook group and see my wardrobes. I mean, why the fuck wouldn't you want that? It'll only cost you 20 quid a God, year or £2 a month. In fact, you could just pay £2 this month, look at the photos, and then, you know... <laughs> And then cancel your membership, you know, like a really, really, really crap version of OnlyFans. <laughs> you can come and build my wardrobes when I finally order them, if you want. You can stay in Prague. Well, well, my mate lives in Prague, James. I can maybe crash with him and come and do a bit of cabinet fitting, in the, like off feeders, <laughs> aim pet. It could be like the travel IKEA wardrobe episode, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there you go. Thank you very much for all that. Thank you for everybody who does join the Patreon, and uh, welcome to you on the live stream, because you get access to that. Shall we begin as we always begin with a player spotted? I think we probably should, yeah. We're rattling through it this week because we've got an interview to do. Evan Quick patron messages in, because he's a lovely patron, with this. It's short, it's snapping, I like it. Went to Longleat with the family and having just come out of the maze, we ran into former Ulster and Cardiff Blues number eight, Nick Williams and his family. Uh-oh. Top points for him having an old Blues kit bag with him. I mean, you know, why would you spend money on like a holdall or a backpack when you've got spent an entire career getting given that shit for free? Evan finishes with he's still fucking massive. He is, although I saw a photo of him the other day and I just thought he's not as massive. Like he has done that thing that a lot of men who are probably larger than their bodies can sort of comfortably absorb thing of just like he's, he's slimmed down a bit I mean, he's obviously the big bloke but he doesn't look like his arms are no longer like the size of my thighs he's done a reverse Wayne Rooney he's slimmed yeah. down in retirement yeah yeah it, it's a shame he wasn't he didn't spot him in the maze that would have been a slightly more exciting but I know you don't want it to be too exciting but he, he made it <laughs> that's right yeah ruined it. So it's good that he came I, out of the I chased baseball. Nick Williams through a maze yeah. in Longleat or said to Nick Williams it would have been no you could have made it I said to him do you know how to get out of here he said no and then we both carried on being lost or something yeah, yeah. sorry Evan so you've, you've taken the trouble of sending that in and then we're slagging it off but it's yeah. uh, thank you very much for that and I hope Longleat was good with the family you can't beat a bit of a safari park can you never been to Longleat I must say not one I've been to. It's all right. I've been to Nosley. <clears throat> and had some fun with the baboons there. The baboons I've there thought... are very scouse, is the best way I'd put it. So it's in Liverpool, so the baboons are quite scouse. <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. I've been to West Midlands Safari Park. That's all right. I didn't, I didn't even know that existed. It's, it's, it's very provincial. <laughs> You've got some giraffes, though. I mean, like... I've obviously I've told a story on here before that I went to uh, I've, Chester Zoo is near me, obviously, 
And it's quite a big zoo, Chester. It's quite a big thing. They've got mm. a Jaguar enclosure sponsored by Jaguar. Of course. The cars. And uh, you don't see the Jaguars very often. I was very excited because one wandered out of like the wooded bit, uh, threw up, and then wandered back in again. I felt like David Attenborough. I love, I mean, I, I get it, right? I get that modern, like old fashioned zoos were not very <laughs> yeah, nice. And out of order, yeah. And were quite cruel and didn't. And like, the reality is that future zoos will have a lot more guaranteed view, a lot less guaranteed viewing of animals because it's a bit mean otherwise. But also, it's like you could spend all that money to go to a zoo and then it's like, might see something. Might just see an immaculately put together enclosure that enables them to hide from us for the entirety of our visit. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I didn't pay my forty-five quid entrance fee to look <laughs> at basically some trees. Can you please do something about this? <laughs> anyway. Oh, Kerry Jones says one of the Jaguars passed away last year. Well, he kept throwing oh. up Kerry for a start. That kind mm. of wasn't a good sign. I think he was obviously yeah. he was obviously trying to purge himself. Maybe you, you should, if you'd reported it, Lee, you might have been saved, you know. That's a good point. Actually. There should have been a point. They didn't have a button to say, is there something wrong with the Jaguar? You know, are you satisfied? <laughs> Smiley face. Oh, the Jaguar was looking. Sad face. And somebody you'd, would go down and have a look. You'd think there would be a priority, what with all that Jaguar money rolling in, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, this is our brands associated with this, and you've killed one of them. <clears throat> We're pulling the funding. So there you go. So thank you very much, Evan. If anyone else has got a player spotted to send in, spare no mundane detail by sending it into at Blood and Mud. May you, my DMs are open only at bloodandmud.com. Or, you, of course, you can do the Patreon messaging service. And if you want access to that and everything else, you've got to go to patreon.com slash bloodandmud where you can get, you know, all of those things and support us and all that kind of stuff. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So, James, you've already mentioned that one of the things we do as a patron experience is we do rugby life interviews, and you've done one. Yeah. Uh, that was when your last book, The Illustrated History of Welsh Rugby, was yeah. out. Um, mm. You've decided not to update that for your next book because I'm assuming one page with a rough sketch of a septic well, tank on fire is not very saleable. Is we, that? Is we, that? I actually think after the last few weeks, we, we did the first update. This, I may, if I think if I wait a year or two, I can just close the book off and finish it. Yeah, you know, exactly. The, entire <laughs> the, com- the complete Welsh history of Welsh Rugby, <laughs> 1888 yeah, exactly, yeah. to 2024. Yeah. I'm going to wait, yeah, and then just close the book. So you yeah. decided not to do that. Instead, you've crossed the bridge, as it were. Yeah. And those of you who are on the, on the live stream can see, you've done instead the illustrated history of English rugby. Yeah, which is your latest offering, which is a, a similar formula to the last one. I don't know if you want to talk us through what it's all about. Yeah, so 
I there's in the internet age, we've stopped having rugby annual. You don't get the Rothmans rugby annual or the or the IRB World, World Book. And the trend of doing rugby history books is kind of dropped off of complete histories. And they tend now to do like trivia books or fun facts and it's all out of order and not chronological. So a few years ago, I thought I'll do like um, an ex- a book that the hardcore will enjoy because there'll be stuff in there and it takes, takes things seriously, but also it's written in a way that if you know nothing about Welsh rugby or you're a new fan or you're a young kid, you'll enjoy it. And uh, yeah, so it's a chronological history. Um, it's got, which I think Josh would like in the center. It's got like every England shirt and the same with the Welsh one, every Welsh or English shirt ever worn. Um, this one, we've gone a bit further. We tell you exactly how many times they wore every single shirt. Cool. That nice. a few weeks that is, that is detail I like. Oof. Yeah. And on the East Terrace soon, we'll actually give you a win ratio in each shirt if you want, but we thought we'd uh, save that. So yeah, it's a book that looks at everything from players. It's got stats at the end, but the good thing about it, like the first book, I got lots of feedback, which is great with the internet. That the people were buying it for their kids and buying it for their granddads and their mums and that. So it's it's a book you can kind of read. I like to think whatever level of interest you have, there's enough there for the nerd, and it's written easy enough for the kind of casual. So yeah, the Welsh one was a real success. So I got to do the second one. It's taken like I started it the day I finished the Welsh one. Depressingly, I did the Bill Biller check, no days off sort of um, mantra. <laughs> no days off. Sat there and started the next one. Um, I love doing it, but after two and a bit years, I'm very glad to get it off my desk. Uh, <laughs> it's um, and and it, like you said, that Rothman sort of thing. Yeah, there's there is actually in the back as well entire record, like in the like in the old days, like the Wisdom yeah. Cricket Almanac type thing, the full yeah. list of results and who the captain was and who the coach was and all that kind of stuff as well. That was really tough because I did the, what you see in there is a condensed version. Like the table I built was like four times bigger because we put down everything from what shirt they wore in each game, the halftime scores, how many tries, etc. And what's tough for that was you can't trust – if an error gets made in a book 20 years ago, three years ago, all the books that come after it repeat that error. So I went back, and for all, like, whatever it is, 757 games for Wales and England, I've checked every result against, like, four different sources. And then you proofread it three or four times. So, I mean, I probably spent four or five, six months just on those stats. And it pays off because um, I probably said last time I was on the Welsh Rugby Union and BBC and everything had the wrong stats for the Welsh coaches. So Tony Gray lost six games. There was just six games missing from his record. Or I think uh, Steve Hansen had two games missing. So you can't even trust, you know, what you're doing. So although it's horrible to spend six months doing stats, it pays off. You know? I mean, it says a lot about the Welsh Rugby Union that they can't even get their own stats right, doesn't it? But... Yeah, and the horrible thing is, <laughs> my theory on it is the six games that were, you can't tell which games were missing because the Welsh Rugby Union didn't make a list. But it happened, I worked out there were six games missing and they happened to be against t- traditional tier two nations. So I think some old fuddy duddy like 30 years ago, although they were full cap match, decided they weren't like full worth being in his record. You know what I mean? That's my theory of where those six games went because it's very odd, you know. And it's very rugby to get all these stats wrong. You know, you don't get that in the NFL books and stuff. So yeah, it's <laughs> in the ass, but it's kind of worth it. Worth it when you occasionally spot errors and stuff. But I've had enough of doing spreadsheets for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> but as you said, I mean, it is, it is, it is a a classic kind of chronological history, really. But there's the, these lovely sketch. It's illustrated in that the sketch drawings yeah. in it and all that kind of stuff, isn't there? Which are yeah. really, which are really good. There's, there's, even though it is in chronological order, you don't necessarily have to read it all at once. It is lots of little sections. There's player yeah. profiles in there. There's at the end of each section. There's a bit of kind of key events from that period. You've just done the chapter on sort of thing, yeah. and so you can dip. It, it is, 
it has got a bit of a probably a lot more accurate as you just described, but a bit of a Wikipedia feel in that you can nip in and out yeah. of different bits you want to read and stuff. A like lot that. of people tell me they dip, they dip in. Some people sit down and read it all, and some people dip into different chapters at different times. Go straight to the period they grew up in normally, and then jump around. And like you say, each chapter is not much, but the beginning and the end we put a bit of social history in there. So we try and say like you know in the nineteen fifties only. 5% of people had TVs and that grew, which changed the game. You know, we try and put some social context into it um, to give you that bit of interest and, and, and kind of give people the era of why the game was like it was at that time. And the really interesting thing, doing Wales and England back-to-back was really interesting as well because although obviously neighbours and the same game and a very shared history, it has a very different feel, Welsh rugby history to English rugby history um, because of the cultural relevance of the game in each, you know. So when you're looking at the famous 1905 tour of New Zealand in Wales, when you go through the papers, it feels like a national event. Obviously the papers are hyping it up, but it feels like the whole nation is interested or the whole of South Wales is interested in it. But whereas when you're reading about the New Zealand tour in the English press, it feels like the rugby community's into it and it's less of a national event. So those kind of things are really interesting as well, how similar and different it is despite it being bordered, you know? Yeah, I think we talked about it, Josh, didn't we? We were talking about the WRU and other stuff because it's a funny one with Wales, right? It's different to England because with the with Cymru football now, calling itself Cymru, the whole embrace of the culture and stuff, and it's a lot of the football view now of, of Wales is that they're the real representation of the national or nationalism mm. culture now, aren't they? But, and, and the WRU's associated with the royal family. It's got the Prince of Wales crest and all that kind of... But yet, like you just said, if you go back to 1900s to 1910, I think you talk about this in the Welsh... And we're talking about the England book here, but in the yeah. Wales book, you talked about it. And I think Tony Collins mentioned it as well when we talked about rugby history, that it was a huge... The rugby team at that time, like you said, the press was a huge part of defining Wales and its yeah. national character and coming out of... Yeah the shadow of of actually being a nation of its own. You fast forward a hundred years, everyone's going, you know, oh, rugby's in bed with the Royals and it's all yeah. about the soccer. So it's a really interesting thing um, to, to, to make the comparison, really. Mm. Yeah, and I did a tweet about it. I mean, it's in the books, but I did a tweet thread about the Welsh shirt. I'm going to do one on the England jersey next week. But what, and he had like a quarter of a million views. One of the, it just went mad because people found it interesting. But the, you look, Ireland, England and Scotland were formed before Wales in rugby terms and they all had a floral symbol, you know, uh, a rose, a thistle, and a shamrock. And so people expected us probably to have a leek or a daffodil. And nobody knows why, but the chances are we went for the three feathers because we wanted to show, you know, that we were part of the British Empire at the time and it was a bit of like the royalist element of that and that we were proud of being part of that. So it's an interesting reason that we were the first international team to not pick a floral symbol and to go with the three feathers. It says a lot. And, it, you know, it was quite depressing um, after all the stuff the WIU went through recently or he's going through but the first thing I saw on the Sunday morning after the England game was like you know Yian Evans being very very humble and thrilled that you know the Prince William was there in his presence and how it was a classic WIU royalist moment straight away yeah and after the game it was all the players posting photos of themselves with Prince William and it's just like um... I mean they are celebs aren't they yeah, very famous people people are going to be pretty know. excited about a big celeb turning up they are A-list aren't they but um mm. Yeah. You mentioned the shirt there, didn't you? But yeah, I, I know what you're saying, Josh. You mentioned yeah. the shirt there, and this section in the middle, which is the big list, and you have the same in the Welsh. Um, yeah, in, in the Welsh book, it's it's where like you know where biographies have those photos in the different paper in colour in the middle. You've got 
every shirt. Every shirt the main yeah. thing, it's the same with the Wales one as well, but I mean, maybe not quite as pronounced. But one thing you notice, and I know it's obvious that the professionalization of rugby union is an obvious thing since 1996, but it never comes through more obviously than shirts. Yeah. Because mm. you look at, I don't want to give too much away, but you look at obviously England played in white shorts and a white shirt from with a rose on it from 1890 something. 1871 to 1991, the same shirt. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Yeah. so the same shirt. And then, so effectively, 120 years is covered by the first... I mean, it's the slightly different designs. One's got a collar, one hasn't, and all that. But it's the same shirt, effectively. And then from 1992, 191 onwards, you've then got your other six, seven pages of shirts. There's been 50... (laughs) Since Cotton Traders produced the first officially licensed shirt we had the colours there's been 57 uh, shirts if you include the World Cup shirt as being different because the logos are not the sponsors gone if you include that variation because they they sell them so I've counted which those I, which I absolutely would as a yeah yeah so that's been, fishing, aren't they? Yeah, that's, there's been 57 shirts of which England haven't worn four of them because there's been a couple of the colour clashes especially in the early days England had a chain shirt but never had to wear it they always made Fiji change or something yeah. um, had a big B in his bonnet. Um, would have been 2013, 2014, where he thought it was improper for England to not wear white unless they were um, forced to do otherwise. So they never wore, I think it was the red and white striped War of the Roses kit, which is actually one of the nicest England kits ever. Mm. And they never actually wore it because Stuart Lancaster was like, "Well, we're not going to just wear it at Twickenham to sell shirts. That's it. That, you know, simply yeah, yeah. done. Yeah, none and, more Lancaster there. Yeah, exactly, basically. none more. Hashtag Stuart Lancaster. Hashtag culture. Hashtag <laughs> this. This means more boys. Phil, going back to the Wales shirt, Phil Lewis said, "Could it not be that the leak is just a bit naff? Would look a bit yes. naff." Well, yeah, but you say that, but. Because that's one of the first shirts Wales ever wore, James, isn't it? It's black with a massive leaf. It was the South Wales fucking banging. It was it was the predecessor. So the South Wales Football Club uh, wore a leak, and also I, 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 a lot of people say this, and I get it. But also, you got to remember, like, um, if you'd had a leak from the start, you wouldn't be thinking it was naff because it would always have been there. It would just be there. You wouldn't think it's because we don't have it. So I get it. I, I, I would love to change it. And I know it's not top priority, but. A lot of people say dragon, but there's so many dragons. I'm like, I don't know. But yeah, I'm just not a fan of it. But I, I mean, it is what it is, you know. I, I love that. It's not top priority. Yeah, but a distraction might be what we need right now. Well, don't look over there. Look at the badge. Yeah, look at the new badge. In my dream world, I wake up next week. The WIU's been totally brought down. They've got a new organization and they rebrand. But, you know, I don't think that's happening. I that was Joss's not... suggestion a number of weeks ago, wasn't it? <laughs> I would, yeah. It, the, the, the three feathers is toxic in every way, shape, and form now. So just get rid of it. Especially well, now, they have the it's not just the three feathers, but when they rebranded in 92, they put WRU there as well. So it's not even feathers. Yeah. And they, it used to say WRU and then Cymru underneath it. And then they took that yeah, away that, in 2014 yeah. or 15, I think. Yeah. Just chuck it all in the bin. Well, meanwhile, back at England, I was looking through the mm. kits and um, I'm trying to remember any, any ones that I'd forgotten about or ones that I look back on and think that's not as bad as I thought at the time. Because you have a kind of, everyone has a visceral reaction to something new, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. But um, 
I mean, I can obviously say 2007 is exactly as bad as I remember it in in all of its in all of its forms. It, it was one of those kits that that's the one with the paint slash that it is. Yeah. Had, and it was also France had exactly the same one, just in different colours. Raspberry Ripple, yeah. As, as did lose that year as well, and oh, I think Saracens as well. Yeah, yeah. It was a real like like just low nice. effort job. It was one of those kits like the current England one that was out of date. The moment it came, it will it already see it's bad now, and it will be even worse in 10 years. Where there's some shirts that, as you say, they don't look as bad. This looks bad now and will look worse. This kit they've got now looks like somebody's drawn Golgotha in blood on the bottom of the kit for no reason, <laughs> for, yeah. for no, no apparent reason, basically. Yeah, it, it was also interesting to see that England had more shirts than Wales because in my mind, I thought Wales would have had, had done more shirts in the pro era or the modern era but um the other interesting thing was seeing and I, I didn't put these stats in the book but how many which company changed kit the most so nike were there 14 years and did 25 shirts canterbury mm. did 19 shirts in seven years and umbra were on on seven so it was interesting to see how like canterbury did it so much quicker the changes you know yeah, when Canterbury came in, this where they went from I think going every two years, which is what Wales were on until they were in uh, with Macron, which I think is why they had so yeah. many less. And then Canterbury just like, yep, two new ones every year, lads. Yeah, and yeah. The other thing that you've got in that list of shirts is how many times they were worn. It's very surprised how many shirts are worn once. Yeah, yeah. In and it's normally against Tonga or, or Welsh mm. game, Tonga or England will be like, yeah, one of the just one autumn game, basically. Yeah. There's a nice sort of navy purpley one that was worn once in 2009 versus Argentina, for example. Well, well, my favourite England shirt is that the 1999. It was one of the last old school, but the 1999, 1999 away shirt, amazing kit. Like, oh. My favourite by far. Really is that the one with the with the narrow three narrow hoop? white and red stripe? Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. that's an really old cool, Sorry, yeah, lovely shirt. Um, what's your word? What's your favourite actually, Lee? Is it what's the of the non-classic, I guess, but what's... Of the non-classics, I, I like the ones that always lean towards the classic, I guess, yeah. which is which is kind of where it comes from. And my favourite, I, I actually, I like the 1999 World Cup one. Yeah. Which is a, just as a simple red line sort of in the buttons. Yeah. Which kind of did for me. Both 99 think... ones were lovely, actually. Yeah. Also. 99 yeah. was like a really good... Um, yeah. It was... There weren't many bad kits at that World Cup. The only thing was they were just starting to get really big, weren't they? Was that like they just started to get huge, the actual size. They started to go Mm. like very 90s baggy. But yeah, most of the designs were really nice in that World Cup. I find myself not hating the kind of royal purple, whatever the fuck they called it, as much as I did at the time. I think the the royal purple one, I remember people describing it as arrogant because it was royal purple, um, (laughs) which is very funny. (laughs) <laughs> and just and says a lot about kind of how people project, particularly people in the southern hemisphere, project stuff onto England that is not always fair. Um, yes. I'm a Republican, but, and I love that purple one. I thought it was lovely, you know. Me too. I, I think it's a genuinely very nice kit. Um, but remember when the England had the black kit in the 2011 World Cup, and New Zealand were like, "Oh, they're just trying to be like the All Blacks." It's like, no, you, you don't have a fucking monopoly on black lads. Yeah. yeah. I, I tell you what I do like about England, and I I don't get, as an NFL follower as well, I don't get how they haven't grasped this as a marketing thing. This year is, I know it's a nonsense story, but it's 200 years since William Webb Ellis myth stopped. You know, I know it's a nonsense thing, but why they don't do a throwback weekend where 
everyone in one weekend of the Six Nations wears a retro kit because no oh, one. It would be amazing. You'd sell them, and England, to be fair, and they did the anniversary shirt, the hundred years of Twickenham. They did against Wales. They wore that really nice retro kit. And yes, that the sort of cream coloured one. Yeah, and they removed the sponsors and the shorts were slightly longer. And then this is the one that baffles me. The Calcutta Cup match in 2021 was the 150th anniversary of England and Scotland. England did a, re- a nice retro kit with the, a stylized retro. Yeah, kit. the Umbra one was really nice though. Really yeah. nice. And Scotland wore their normal kit. And you're like, so you've got one team, like you would have thought both teams would have done a retro kit for the 150th. And yeah, I think Scotland was saying because Scotland had some gold piping on their kit last year. They were sort of saying that all year they were celebrating the 150th, but it was just felt like a real low effort kind of. Do it if you want to charge double the price, limited edition, whatever, but just make an effort for one game. Yeah. You know? So yeah, rugby's really behind on that, I think, because there's you know there's a market for it. if they want to charge more for it because it's a higher, lower. They're not going to make as many fine, but it's just weird we don't do that. We don't tra- like is. we know. The six, sorry, the Six Nations is like 1883 it started. Make a bit of that history sometimes, you know, make something of mm. it. Well, they, they do in that they keep saying it's the oldest international tournament. You know, they, there's yeah. a big heritage play with it, isn't there, about the consistency of it, only yeah. in Italy and stuff. Well, yeah, that, but then also that's all they do, as a, have, have it as a strap line as the, the oldest and greatest yeah. championship or something, you know? Yeah. I think it says a lot about how much clout rugby teams actually have with their kit manufacturers a lot of the time because like obviously the NFL and football or whatever can ask their kit manufacturers to do whatever they want but with rugby teams it's kind of just like there's your two kits for the year now fuck off we'll see you in 12 months time you know, you're wrong. that was 2003 where the basic manufacturers said to about eight teams and yeah, in 2007, you... Nike in 2003 said, you're all having the same kit yeah. and Canterbury like, in 2007 said you're all having the same kit my my favorite yeah. was when Canterbury started those really high tech press releases, like you know this oxygenates the skin and all. They were doing all, every press release every year, but they would do a press release for Leinster and it would be like, oh, we spoke to the Leinster players and this shirt was designed with input from the Leinster players, and then they'd release a shirt that week from I don't know England and they'd say the same, and they all had exactly the same shirt. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, it was like the template is identical. Then. Yeah. How much input um, did they really get? Yeah. But, um, lots of uh, yeah. rugby, lot, lots of uh, rug, hashtag rugby values disputes in the book as well. Yeah, uh, you one I like, particularly like the the illustration of John Scott in the seventies. <laughs> John Scott, who was criticised for lifting the ball above his head after scoring a try. What what would they make of people fucking shit house whooping after a knock on? Which is what <laughs> happens now. That kick, I did a tweet about that, so that was a really funny one. So I found out this John Scott is only try for England. He picks the ball up early 80s, scores, and literally just puts the ball over his head in a, like, you know, and the, I think it was the Times went to town on him, said he was acting like Caesar in his pomp. It was all this stuff, right? Oh um, it was incredible, right? union doesn't fucking help itself, does it? <laughs> Jesus Christ. With all these complaints, right? So I did a, obviously, I did a tweet about it when I was researching it, and, and they did two things. I did a tweet that said, not criticising modern celebration, I said, when rugby fans do that rugby values thing of, like, footballers celebrating everything, Look at the way now, like England, or not just England. It was happened to be a clip that week from England celebrate like a random scrum penalty on the halfway line in the fourth minute, like they've won the. It's you know, and I start getting people saying, "How dare you, you know, have a go with them for celebrating?" I said, "I'm not having a go with them for celebrating." I'm saying rugby values is always like, "Oh, bloody footballers," and we've gone that 
volleyball way. But the John Scott thing then, I managed to get that wonderful Twitter account, um, APSM, who do all the old rugby clips. Mm. He tracked down that John Scott clip, which I've never seen. It's never, it's not on YouTube. He found it within like two days and he gave it to me. And I said, oh, I'm going to set up an East Terrace YouTube channel and put this kind of thing on it. So I put it on YouTube, a, a, a 20 second clip that has not been shown for decades, isn't online. Within 24 hours, YouTube would cancel my account forever for copyright infringement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, because obviously, how dare I show a clip that no one's ever used for like thirty years? Because yeah, the RFU have absolutely no interest in actually re- reminding. I'm assuming that I've, is that because the, the, the tournament probably owns every clip in perpetuity, do they? But I don't get it because there's loads of. I know, like people like Squidge have, have managed to do a deal with them, but there are loads of. There's loads of. If you type in Five Nations, Six Nations on YouTube, there's loads of random little accounts with full games on. So why this twenty second clip really bothered them? I don't know. But so the 2007 to 2010 period was the worst time where they were just trying to shut everything down. Yeah. Because they couldn't, you know, it was like the beginning of every, it's like, you know, they, they were basically, like, they were coming after people like me for putting a clip of a try for the night before, like I was Napster or something. People had, people had gone batshit insane <laughs> over this stuff. But the thing that gets me now is like, they geoblock stuff. I live in the Czech Republic and they geoblock like, I don't know, it'll be like a, Scott, uh, Australia under 20s v New Zealand under 20s. And like, in what way is rugby losing money by that tweet being available in the Czech Republic? There are probably eight people are looking at, yeah. <laughs> Take those two yeah. bucks off. There's actually one person with eight devices. It was you. Yeah, that was- yeah. It's, that's the thing. Rugby doesn't, like, can't help itself in no. so many ways, but that is like a textbook example of just yeah. like, you we will remain in the game. But yeah, yeah. We, we don't want people out. You know, God forbid somebody in Eastern Europe can watch Six Nation highlights on Twitter for free. Yeah, and and again, I know NFL's bigger and there's bigger money, but like, whereas the NFL, they're putting clips up within seconds of people scoring and are people well, making their own, and they're all just allowed because guess what? It helps you spread. You know, well, that's the thing. The NFL used to, and I remember this era. The NFL used to be really like draconian about stopping like getting highlights pulled down off twitter and then basically i think within like by about 2012 or 2013 like the popularity of the nba had basically sort of done that and the nfl just carried on and and they were like why why is this you know our, our viewers are still massive why why aren't our social like why is are all our teams and it's like because the NFL, nba allows anybody to make like they're yeah. instantly posting highlights like five seconds after they've appeared as and if, then everybody's like, sharing them. As if Fox or, M- or NBC are going to go, well, I'm not paying this fucking big money for this TV contract because Norman, lots of numbers, posted somebody <laughs> yeah. getting sacked on his Twitter account last week. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the rugby will probably catch up. Like, I know it's got up a little bit, but the, the best was when they were banning videos like from the stadium in 2019. Is like, Here's me and my kid that flew out to Japan. We love rugby. Nope, take that down because it's in the stadium. We don't want to let people know that you're having a fun time with your kid in Japan. Nope. Have you got the express permission of ITV Sport and World Rugby? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'd be so late on it, but yeah. An illustrated history of English rugby is available now, is it, James? Yeah, two days ago, though. Yeah, three so days out ago. Out two days ago, available from all good bookshops, bookstores, online and otherwise, I'm guessing. Yeah. We have got a copy to give away yeah. to one of the lo- lovely listeners. We're probably going to do it via Twitter. So it'll probably be a 
retweet and name your worst England shirt or something. We're still working yeah. out, are we? But keep your eyes open for the tweet and we will put it out there. Yeah. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, so you're going to stick around a little bit, James, and then bugger off in a bit, aren't you? But um, we are now going to do the news. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, so the news this week: Jared Evans is looks like off to Harlequins because I'm assuming that Cardiff's offer of four bags of pig's teeth and shells is no match for whatever uh, whatever Harlequins are about to lob on the table or drive up to him in the boot of a Maserati, probably. Yeah, I mean, what could be more Quins than going? Well, we've got this one lad who just does sidesteps and spec, you know, speculative, occasionally incredible passes. So what we need is a second one. So if we need to change the game, uh, <laughs> we'll just bring on an identical but slightly worse player. It's kind of your team, James, in the yeah. in in the regional world. It would be, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah, and um, I mean, I, I as as someone who lives abroad and gets all the stuff geo-blocked. Um, I don't get to see much these days. They show the premierships on Czech TV or the Czech Sport Channel, but um, I get to get those wonderful, again, going about how great rugby is, those wonderful highlights on URC, which are about three minutes long. Half of them, half a minute is them coming on the pitch. Another minute is penalties being taken. Another half a minute is them coming off the pitch. And they no even commentary, finish, yeah. Or, or then they even finish highlights. I've seen highlights where Team A are winning, the highlights end, and you find I open the paper the next day Oh, and find out that, that the other team won because it was late. They don't even bother telling you. So um, I follow the match reports. I watch what I can um, and stream. So, but yeah. So my, um, I, as I said, I got managed to go to a game yesterday, which was good. That I was at a game, but bad because I was home, but bad because it was a real beating from Ulster. Yeah. So yeah, so off off he go. But I mean, it's really yeah. worrying, is it? Because I mean, Jared Evans is, you know, he's he's one of those players that people desperately want to be the answer to something, don't they, in Wales? But he's never going to be because people no. are daft and don't understand how things work. But he is an entertaining player, homegrown, who should be sticking around and there should be enough money on the table to keep someone like him around, shouldn't they? I don't yes. get into that too much. But I suppose the fact that he can just be given a shitload of money to go and play, to go and live in London and, and et cetera, is, is really symptomatic of where we're at really isn't it yeah i mean it's it's as we discussed last week and as we've been discussing for the last couple of weeks it's it it gets from bad to worse nigel owen uh nigel not nigel owen uh nigel he walker. gets from bad to worse but for he does get from bad to worse. um nigel walker was interviewed yesterday or the day before i think basically saying oh we you know we'll we'll try and find some more money if if the blues are really struggling it's like well that you 
you seem to be changing a you seem to be changing your tune there and b like does everybody get that money or is it just like oh well if the blues can't afford to have a squad then we're going to give them more money that's that's not going to go down very well with the other regions is it Cardiff are a strange one, aren't they? And I don't, I don't know enough about this really. Other than, so I'm just going to go off a vibe, really, that they should be the richest club around, shouldn't they? And traditionally, they were, were they not? And yet, they seem to be the ones, other than the Dragons, is an exception to every rule, I guess, that seems to be perpetually struggling, really. Or well, what, is it more reliant on benefactors? And because of that, that's a weakness. In Cardiff, itself? if not for the fact that Cardiff were. It was. It would be politically in unconscionable for the WIU to not have a team in Cardiff. Um, the Blues slash Cardiff would have gone bust. I think three or four times in the last two or three years. Like a couple of times, Peter Thomas has had to come in and and pay off tax bills and see off winding up orders. The WIU tried to nationalise them a couple of years back, and then the Athletic Club objected to them doing so and, and ultimately they had to sell their training <laughs> they had to sell their training ground in the Vale and go and fucking train in a leisure centre for a year. It's it's yeah. Cardiff have, have been rattling from one it's always funny that like whenever this stuff happens, everybody kind of instantly goes, Well let's get rid of the Ospreys then. It's like, well, actually, no. Why you should be looking at getting rid of the most financially fucking hat stand region, and that is comfortably the Blues. Like even the Dragons, for all their issues, are not sort of constantly stumbling from one winding up order and one tax bill to another. But it's weird. I, I don't really understand. I think a lot of it is just that they. <laughs> They have traditionally spent beyond their means because Peter Thomas has enabled them to because he was a very generous benefactor and remains a very generous benefactor when the shit hits the fan. But um, but yeah, Cardiff are in the same position that the Ospreys and the Dragons, well, not so much the Dragons anymore, but like if you don't own your ground, you are really... You should, there's, there are only certain ways that you can kind of leverage cash as a sports team in 2023, really. And obviously the Athletic Club own the Arms Park and all the land around it and they will not allow redevelopment, they will not allow selling it, they will not allow anything that kind of... Because what the WRU wanted to do was a couple of years ago was basically sell the Arms Park, turn it into a conference centre and build the Blues a new stadium out in the bay. Now, I understand why people have reservations about that, but like in terms of things that would have made Cardiff more financially secure, having their own stadium that was fit for purpose and didn't make you like piss in a trough when you go there is probably, is probably kind of going to be more sensible. But like until those sort of, those sort of issues of ownership and having actual physical things that whilst rugby can actually assets that they can actually make money off until that's sort of fixed, I think we're always going to be in trouble. How was the Arms Park, James, this weekend? <laughs> Just a piss in a trough? Very similar to how it was when I was a season ticket holder like uh, 20 years ago. Um, well, that, what's amazing is um, and depressing, as you, as you say. like I love I'm, it for that, but it is like... Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I was a season ticket holder from like when I was about 10. So about 1990 to like about 2002 when I moved to Dublin then. And um, 
yeah, I mean, the stadium's essentially the same, um, which is, and you know, it's heartbreaking for, without getting into all the labyrinth politics of the athletic club and all that. that it is really frustrating. And I, I lived in, I, you know, I lived in Dublin and worked with, a, with Old Belvedere, but I used to be very close to Leinster with my day job and stuff. And it was amazing to see um, the difference in rugby culture and the, and the committee culture, you know, because the most of the people on the committee structure in Ireland to overly overly generalise with business people were much more, were very clued on and much more single-minded. So it was interesting to see the difference and to see the way Leinster grew because when I was first in Dublin, it was like Leinster with a exciting team but could never quite do it in Munster we were always beating them and it was amazing to see that way the game changed in Leinster and it started to come together and um, to see that grow and then to come back to Wales you know years later and to see how the games either stayed the same or gone backwards financially or, or there's not the facilities for the players it's, it's a really depressing thing and I know I don't want to get into the politics of it because it's so complicated but yeah it's really sad and it was really sad yesterday on the terraces like you know I heard a couple of young kids near me were talking about Evans when he got the ball. You know, maybe he isn't going to be the, a top fly half, but the kids were excited. You know, he tried to make a few, and you see yeah. kids, the kids love him, right? And yeah, he's going. And then you see other players getting injured, like Lilo got injured and his knee's gone and he's going to be out of contract in three months. So is he fucked because no one's going to sign him because your knee or your Achilles? You know, we had players doing their Achilles. We had a couple of players. And it's heartbreaking because every time someone went down yesterday, I know what the insurance situation is. We're like, shit, if that guy's ruined his Achilles or knee ligaments. He's got a mortgage and kids probably. And no one's going to sign a guy like that until he's back and fit, which is going to take, what, a year? You're like, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, and you look at, you know, Hallahol is, you know, the become rapidly become the poster boy for all this. And, you know, he, what he said yesterday about kind of how he <laughs> was, the contrast he was offered, that he was going to struggle to, you know, provide for his family and his kids. And yet he probably didn't have any other options because he's torn his Achilles. He's probably going to be out for a year. Mm. Like that's, you know, it's morally entirely unacceptable (laughs) that that's the sort of situation that we're putting these players in. And because, you know, most of them, if they'd have purely been out for themselves and, and didn't actually care about, Welsh rugby or care about the clubs that they played for would have already signed for somebody else. And the fact that they haven't is now causing huge problems, you know, is putting these lads out of quite literally out of house and home. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's just, it just gets worse with each passing week that it's not fixed. Well, we began with this talk about Evans going to Quinn. You're right, you're right though, James, in that he is a classic club player that is the reason why people turn up to watch a, a, a club game, Jared yeah. Evans. You know, even if you, even if he does something fucking mental or loses, yes. it, like you said, there is a buzz when that type of player gets the ball. The trouble yeah. is that too many people think that somehow could be translated into you know yeah. something else, but it doesn't mean that what it is, what he, what he, what he, you know, it doesn't that doesn't mean that what he does do isn't great and is great for a club and is a cult hero type yeah. thing, yeah. you know. You know, it's the same ones like, you know, when I was a kid, you had players, you know, like the classic one was Simon Hill, you know, he, he got he got a few Welsh caps, but, or Craig Morgan, you know, you watched him every week and he did things that never made the highlights, but he became one of your club players. They never managed to quite step up to the level, but you love watching them and to see even that, you know, you understand the Liam Williams are going to disappear and all that, but when all those other players, you know, Max Llewellyn, you know, all these other players going, um, is talking to the, a couple of people around me, I think 
they can cope with the big names going because of the finances of it. it and obviously they barely play because that's another argument. But it's those like the Max Llewellyns, it's those kind of players that Jared Evans that is ripping the soul out. It's, well, that being too dramatic, but it's taking yeah. the core and soul out. Yeah. In three <laughs> and it, and it, those players are the players that are there, you know, the, are the, are the things that, in, you know, your league campaign is based on because you can't base it on, you know, the f- five or ten players you have in the Wales squad because, as you say, they're barely there. Yeah. You and know, then when they're the 35 players to make the rest of it up. Yeah. No, it was pretty, you know, again, when you come, because when you come, every time I come home, I don't go out into Cardiff much because I come home shortly and stay in Barry many, but you go into town and I go to go to some pub and that pub's closed down. Then I go to go to some shop and the shop's gone. And then I go to the stadium and it's kind of looks the same and hasn't changed. And then, you know, all the players are leaving and it's kind of good to be back, but also it was quite sobering, you know, as well. Um, Somebody says, is cult hero the better term for your so club? Certainly uh, a nicer term. It is, but plenty of people in your so club are nowhere near cult hero status Absolutely. either. Yeah, they're just there. They've just been there. <laughs> um, right, so any more? while we're on the Quinns thing and the Marcus Smith thing, he's been added to the England squad this week. There was a lot of uh, people going, oh, George Ford went in last week. Yeah. What does that mean? Does Smith not? And he's, he's back in now. So that probably puts that to bed. It still doesn't really give a clue as to what Borthwick's thinking is, but I suppose it doesn't make it as obvious as, we, as some people thought it was last week. No, I think it, I think it probably shows that this was always the plan, wasn't it? Like, you know, people are talking about, you know, oh, he made Borthwick look foolish and, you know, he, that's why he's called it. I think it, it, he was probably always going to come back and the whole point of it was, like he was said, to go away and, you know, and do what you do. For Quinns, get some minutes under your belt. Remind yourself of what the player that you are and how you play for Quinns, and then come back and do that against France in a week. Surely that was always the plan. But I don't know. So he's back he's in the speak. squad anyway. Indeed. You got any news, Josh? Um, Ian Foster's finally taken the hint. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel I. Uh, I feel for him. I genuinely do. It's hard not to have compassion for somebody that, like, <laughs> basically, your bosses say, "Yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna pick the new uh, All Blacks coach uh, in in a couple of weeks." And Ian Foster's like, "Hang on, what? <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm currently here. Can I Why apply can for it? Anyone? No, nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yes, they've." They've said that yeah, they actually came out and said that he will not be considered for the put for the job after twenty twenty three. So and yet they make they're somehow letting him go to the World Cup despite knowing that he's gonna get replaced by Scott Robertson in like it's it's a mad situation that if New Zealand rugby had just had the sense to sack him when it became apparent that they probably needed to and didn't notice the, like the minor uptick that they had at the end of 2022 uh, when they sort of beat South Africa and they kind of had a relatively okay tour up north if they just gone okay fair enough but you're clearly not the man to lead us forward and just sacked him and got Razor in then it would have made a lot more sense. Instead, they're letting a guy who literally is 
angrily, publicly complaining about how he's been treated, which is fair enough. Um, Even Kieran Reid's come out and said it was a disgrace. Yeah, and (laughs) and fucking Sam Kane's gone, yeah, I guess the writing is probably on the wall for him now. And he's his (laughs) captain. (laughs) What the fuck, man? I'd like, to run a, I'd, I'd like to run a scissor move off third phase. Why the fuck should listen to you anymore? Yeah, What's it, the point? It's weird how the, the New Zealand coaching thing has gone to so many extremes now. So years ago, you lost the World Cup, you were gone. Then they yeah. had the the Henry thing, oh, we'll give them another chance. You know, they, they had that. And then they've now gone to completing decisions. So they've gone from like ruthlessly cutting coaches, being really loyal to them, to kind of now this middle ground of like, we're keeping you probably, but we're only keeping you until here. You know, it's a weird cult. It's all part of the brand that they, they can't really show that they don't know what they're doing. You they, know what I mean? Yeah, they, can't admit, they can't admit that they made a mistake. And they yes, can't because that's the not Black what they never, do. Yeah, the All Blacks yeah. have never sacked a coach. So the, all they can do is constructively sack a coach by replacing him before his contract is even finished. And and then just if I was in though, you would just go, just give me the money. Yeah. I'll go and get Scott Robertson now. Bastard. Yeah, and I'm sure he probably did. He was like, "If you give me enough money, I will fuck off now." <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, they, it's remarkably badly handled the whole thing. Speaking of uh, coaches, mm. uh, Mike Blair has decided that the big job isn't for him. I've Edinburgh. got a lot of time for that. <laughs> yeah, indeed. It's also but not he's... that unusual in life, is it? That some people yeah. get a job and they go, you know what? If I've got the really option like and that. I can make it work yeah. and I, I can pay me mortgage, um, I don't think I want You'd this. Like... I've had a go. Yeah, it's not for I me. Like being, you know, I like being an attack coach. I don't like being a head coach. Is It is so rare that you see like coaches in rugby or in any sport realise that, you know, without without it having gone horribly wrong. And then and go like back. without having it, like Mike Blair hasn't spectacularly failed at Edinburgh. Edinburgh are pretty good. They're they're going through a bit of a dip at the moment, but they've been pretty good under him. Like nobody was calling for his head, and yet he's gone. You know what? <laughs> I, I think he's probably had some sort of tap up from the SIU to go. Would you like to be Scotland attack coach after the World Cup? And he's gone. Yeah, maybe I will do that. Actually, that sounds more fun. I've only got to work six weeks a year. Yeah. And but the politics—it's like being captain of a team, isn't it? The mm. Politics is—it's—it's it's the politics, it's the media, it's everything you say is amplified, isn't it? So yeah. you, don't you can't have to make throwaway comments. Yeah. You can't, you know. Whereas you don't have to talk to anyone after a game, and no. you only have to sort of go in front of the press one every like four weeks when they've sent all the other assistant coaches up. So yeah, or when you're the only one left, like at that time at the Ospreys, they just send somebody random <laughs> yeah, out. The, the most <laughs> complex situation in the world just sends somebody random out. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no good for him, I think. And he has, he seems. What's the point of sticking in a job you hate to ultimately fail? Because they all end in failure. Mm. These these head coach jobs, don't they? That's one the way or another. Co- very very few coaching jobs ever end in success. You know, ultimately you will end up failing, and then you will stop working. Graham Henry, probably the only one that didn't go out like that. And that's because he, yeah, he knew when to quit. Yeah. yeah. And he it's had the help of the World Cup as well. Yeah. 
Other transfer news, very quickly. Marcos Kramer has signed for Claremont because they obviously want to double bastard their second row. Mm-hmm. They want to reproduce exactly what Argentina like, about like dishing yeah. out. Can we have some and more pricks in here, please? That's basically <laughs> yes. what they've gone. Well, they've tried lots of other things, Claremont, to be where they, they actually should be, be consistently, haven't they? So yeah. this is the latest iteration of of the latest plan, I guess. They still got Vahamina because that's a hell of a. I think they have Anne Lavanini, aren't they? So I mean, is Lavanini going next year? Is that why they've signed Kramer? Possibly. <laughs> Kramer can play in the back row, though. So it's like that is true. Just, they might just be trying to stick as many horrible people in their pack as. And he's got a square possible. beard. I've got a lot of yeah. time for that. A psycho with a square beard seems like a, a good <laughs> way forward for Claremont. Do we want to cover very, very quickly, because it keeps coming up, the Ospreys and Ealing thing? Because beyond some people have said they reckon it on Twitter, I don't know what I don't know what other basis there is to it really. Ealing, Ealing are great at wishful thinking, aren't they? Yeah, they yeah. wishfully thought that their shed with some benches would somehow get agreed. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't like, thinking this is another dose of that. Yeah, and I want you know, especially as all of aside from the original story, which is obviously from Steph Thomas, but like all of the sort of like. Le- inverted commas leaks that have come out since have come from London papers and London based journalists and that to me is just like Ealing are trying to make this happen as because otherwise they're just going to be stuck in the championship forever <laughs> because they're not going to build that's what you know imagine trying to get planning permission to build a fucking 10,000 seater stadium in Ealing you know, it's just not going to happen. Like that's the reality of it. Because if if they were going to get planning permission for it, he'd have done it by now. It's weird because there are brownfield sites there. I sort of know there that in London, and there are bits that aren't as as. I mean, Ealing. There's bits of it that are very lovely. But there's also bits that are you know brownfield mm. and in need of a bit of investment. Won't be cheap though. No, exactly. And it's like, you know, that current stadium they've got is is literally there's two thousand two hundred seats. It's like we've all we've all probably played rugby on bigger you know, bigger fucking stadiums than that. And it's basically on the back of a leisure centre, isn't it? It's like there's there's <laughs> it's like Saracen's thing, but much more village. And But does it mean they'll just come and use the liberty? If you try and play this, play the tape through on this, is it like, well, they merge with Ospreys, they get in the Irk, they become the, the, the you know, they take the EasyJet, uh, the Ryanair Airport approach, call themselves Ealing West RFC or something, <laughs> playing Swansea, and, well, I think and, that's the and thing, they're though, getting though. the Irk. I don't want the, the, the Irk. There's no, there's no like, there's no in. The Irk doesn't want Ealing playing in Swansea. The Irk wants Ealing playing in London because London's mm. a massive fucking market. And it would help them sort of feel like the <clears throat> less of this sort of Celtic and South African league. It becomes this sort of like truly, it has English teams, it has Welsh teams, Scottish teams, Italian teams, Irish teams, South African teams. It is truly the rainbow, you know, United Colours of Benetton, quite literally, uh, of you know, a rugby league. But I just think it's maybe maybe there is some truth to it, but it does just feel like the la- Ealing desperately want this to happen because it is their only way out. 
it is their only way that they're ever going to get to top flight rugby because it's patently obvious that the Premiership does not want them and does not want to share what little money they've got. They 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 don't want to add another P share to the fucking proceedings. They they're quite happy keeping it at twelve or whatever it is at the moment. Do you have a take on this, James? I I know I saw it again. I saw it come up again today, and it's just someone somewhere is obviously telling lies because there's massive denials <laughs> on one side, and there's other people saying it's happening. So it's going to be like it's just another thing. You you see it. It's one of those things in normal times. You'd, I'd see that, and I'd be reading all about it. And I read about it a few weeks ago, and I saw it come up again today on my timeline, and I'm like, I can't be dealing with this because. It's such a head fuck. And I actually got a few tweets on it originally from some Aussie rugby mates of mine, like, what the hell's this? How's this going to work? Like, you know, it's such a bizarre modern rugby story, I guess. And it just adds to the complete head fuck that rugby is at the moment in every, you know, shape and form. So I don't know. Um, I can imagine some people are trying to do it and I can imagine rugby entertaining it and I can imagine it being half made up just to try and pressure somebody into something. But yeah, it's it's weird. And it would make the league even weirder. On so many levels. I mean, Russ Petty has quite literally just tweeted um, a company's house registration for an entity called London Trailfinders Rugby Limited, uh, which was set up on the twenty seventh of January. And, but nobody involved. It's 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 all the same Ealing people. There's no no Osprey's people involved in any of the directors or anything. So I just think it's just. They're chancing their arm, man. They see an opportunity for something. And you say it enough times, you might get enough people to believe it's a good idea and something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They can keep it in the they can keep it in people's kind of minds and keep it in people's and sort of it doesn't seem like less of a silly idea. Phil Lewis says the premiership don't want another London club, especially that one so close to Quinn's. No, indeed. Anyway, so that's the news, is it? Anything else? Uh, oh, uh, Ardy Surveyor has been cited for his... Uh... Oh, for his throat slash manoeuvre. <laughs> I'm really struggling to summon a lot of outrage about that. I'm struggling. I mean, you know, we're meant to be the woke outrage podcast and I, I really couldn't give a fuck. So... <laughs> yeah, the end. I'm sure right. he'll get banned. He probably will in this yeah. day and age. But yeah, it's... Uh... And I suppose I wouldn't be too upset if it was never seen again, but I don't really care that it's been seen either. Do you know what I mean? I just don't same, care. Same. <laughs> right. So thank you very much. That is the end of the news. Let's talk about very quickly about we've got Six Nations coming back next week. We have our lovely uh, Fanzo League, the Guinness Pipe Predictor that we have there, where you can come along and predict scores. And if you get it right within certain score margins, you either win a pint of Guinness for yourself in participating pubs or you can go and give a pint away to somebody if you don't quite get the score right and you can compete and Josh is, but the bottom line is Josh is in fifth and I'm in 184th that's all you need to know out of the 300 people that are in there if you do want to join in still there's a couple of weeks left you can see how you get on against other people and win some booze or some booze to give away you can get the Fanzo app and you can go to the Guinness Pint Predictor and Click on league and use the code blood and mud, all one word, blood and mud, to join our league. Thank you very much indeed. So the three games this weekend and predictions then. Italy t- <laughs> take on Wales uh, first on Saturday. 
in what I believe is the first time Italy have been favourites for some time with the bookies. Uh, 2014 against Scotland, was, which they lost by one point, uh, was the last time that Italy were uh, favourites in a Six Nations game. I'll let that, guess. Before then, it was like, I think they hadn't, you got to go back to like 2009 before they were favourites. So, yeah. But Josh, we all know your thoughts on this one, although I'll let you have a say in a minute. But let's go to our guest then about predictions, what? thoughts. I, I've backed Italy in the last, the previous two Wales Italy games, so I'm not changing now because I, I, um, I, I, I wasn't surprised at all by last year's. I thought we were going to blow it the year before. Um, I think the only way, like, obviously it's winnable, but I, um, I, I think we just need, a, you know, whether it's an Italy red card, I'd be amazed to see us win it. Oh, amazed, it's too strong, but no, I, I think Italy, something like you know. 21-12 type of score. Wales will get a few penalties. The only try we might get will be like last week, you know, some intercept or some random mess up by Italy, it feels like. Um, oh, maybe we'll hold late and I say late Italy rally again. I just I just can't see it. Italy's biggest downfall so far has been um, every time they give the ball to the opposition, the opposition tends to score. And then Italy do all right with mm. the ball themselves, but they yeah. haven't been able to stop their opposition scoring. Um, so you can expect Italy to score. That's the thing for me. But everything suggests up to this point you can't really expect Wales to score beyond, you know, standing in the middle of a of a crap no, I mean, passing they, movement. Josh, am I being too? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Italy probably will win. I don't think they'll win by a lot. I think they'll, it'll be like three points tops and I've got a funny feeling that it is, might just be my pessimism that is needing me to not back Italy, uh, not back Wales here because I just think as you say, Italy are tactically, fundamentally all over the shop, particularly when it comes to <laughs> exiting their own 22 and I think even Wales, if you give them that level of easy ball that they have given to teams in the last couple of weeks, you know, they're still Louis Samet out there. There's still probably going to be Liam Williams out there. There's still going to be players capable of, even without any kind of shape or plan, yeah. scoring those things and, and causing problems for Italy in those situations. The question is whether Wales can live with Italy in terms of their forwards and their physicality. I don't think they probably can at this point, but it could go either way. It's going to be a very tight game, I think. I think you're right. I think if we do win, it's going to be as you say, like a moment, a moment. It's going to be individual tries made from nothing, almost rather, most likely, rather than um, fantastic, you know, twenty-phase play scores and stuff. Um, but I, I, the other thing that's interesting, you know, I think Italy again, they're not. It's a, the biggest cliche, but they're not used to being the favourites and that. And but also the other side, the Wales are in such disarray, and it must be such a tough time with the players. And you wonder what the relationship with Gatland's like and that. It's just, it's going to be very interesting. But I. If I had to put the house on it, I'll go with Italy. Mm. Italy by how many, James? I reckon it between no more than eight, but like probably like a three, three, five points, but something like that. I think it'll be close. And I think Wales might do a, you know, re rewrite into the end and, and kind of maybe do a rally and have a bad, you know, a bad, we're always bad starters. And stuff. I guess yeah, I can see Wales great. having a go and then fucking up at the end. Yeah. So you're Italy by eight. Josh, what's your call? Italy by three. Um, I really told I picked Wales last week, so I've mental. I've just gone crazy this time. <laughs> I do think, and I know there's nothing scientific about this at all. I do think they will be due something through sheer 
piss and vinegar at some point, really. And I think this could yeah, be the game, you know. If it's a terrible game that is decided by like less than seven points, I can see Wales nicking it in the sort of like most unpleasant and unedifying manner imaginable. <laughs> Nobody will be satisfied. They'll be exactly. saying a win's Everyone a win, and then you'll be and you'll be fucking fuming about people saying it. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm gonna say Wales by three. Sod it, why not? England play France in the second game on Saturday, the tea time kickoff. Now, here's two teams who are fundamentally not playing very well, the core mm. of it all, I think. Although relatively promising bits for England in some aspects, but um, Sinfield's defence looks okay. France are just not playing very well. It's a tough one. I think, I think you know, what, as much as England were bad against Wales, and they were fucking bad, um, France just look like a team sort of just wrapped up in their own ennui at the moment, don't mm. they? Well, both the half packs are playing poorly, generally. Yeah, and I just it's hard to get moving Pont, when that's happening, isn't it? Yeah, when Dupont like it's, it's kind of when Antimax playing poorly, it's like, well, okay, they've got options there, but it's like because they've made him as the captain, it's like, and he's also fucking Antoine Dupont. Like the France kind of just have to stick with him. Even though he's playing some of the worst rugby of his career, and so, yeah, I just think of the, the battle of, as you say, two teams that aren't playing well. I'd probably go with the home team in this instance, but not by a lot. James, yeah, I'm gonna. I think France will do enough because England. I still think. I think it'll be quite close. I think England will do the. Very basic stuff, very well. You know, they've been very like you know, they sure could have lost against Wales last week, despite how bad Wales were for 70 minutes. You know, I, I just think England will do be a little bit better at some of the things they were bad at the first two games, they'll improve a bit. I think France will just will kind of do one of those do enough games, they'll still have their problems at half backs, they'll still dysfunction, but they'll just have just do enough and because of the role they're on, the momentum way of it. Because I don't think England have picked enough momentum up yet to win these kind of game. So I, I think it's probably going to be like France, but like again, like seven, eight point, you know, eight, ten point game, not a not a thrashing of any means. And but I don't think it's gonna be a two pointer. So France by like eight, I'm gonna say something like that. I go France by four, I'd say in the end. Not France by four, England by four. I'm but I could go, easily see it being France by eight. I'm gonna go England by five just because of the home thing and both teams aren't mm. playing particularly well. France have to find whoever's going to partner Ficou and quick, I think. I, I just think yeah, my friend's not playing well. England's been relatively so... I think that home factor is obviously is always there, but I think it's gone in these big games a bit more than it... You know, The most it's been gone maybe since like that post-2003 claps nonsense you had, which is fascinating doing the book, how, how the way England claps after 2003... It, and Twickenham suddenly felt like a place people could win. I just think they've lost that. If if you know if England Twickenham was worth eight points, I think it's now only worth like two or three. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just lost that thing at the moment. They need to build it back up, but I'm not quite sure they have yet. You know, so it's like a, a men's English sport disease, by the way, winning something big and then being immediately shit afterwards. Yeah. 1966 World Cup, we went out in early in 1970 World Cup, didn't qualify for two World Cups after that. Yeah. Yeah. We all know the rugby 2003 to 2000 and fucking Christ 2015 that lasted till pretty much. Yeah. 
16 um, on and off. After winning the Ashes in 2005 and the cricket, they were shite for six yeah. years after that, pretty much. It's a really weird thing. It's a really weird yeah. thing. We'll see how the uh, women's rugby and the, the Lionesses do. They seem to be mm. charting a different course, we, thankfully. Steve Hansen said after the World Cup, like he said, like you'll never do this again. He was somewhat like official function. And he said, to, you know, you'll never win another World Cup again because your England's just not capable of sustaining success at all. You know, we came <laughs> you imagine Steve Hansen's face was that completely yeah. deadpan as well, can't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. You're right. It's a weird thing. So, yeah. Okay, so finally, then Scotland Ireland is on Sunday, which is. Probably the two teams playing the best at the minute. Game of the weekend, so, yeah. yeah. Grand yeah. Slam decider. Well, should have been. <laughs> yeah. it could still be a title decider. Tournament decider could be, yeah. Because yeah. then Scotland have got Italy in Edinburgh, haven't they? Last yeah. Weekend. James, what do you think on this one? I think this is one that I'm going to change every day, depending on what day you ask me. <laughs> I think, I, honestly, like it's a really fascinating one, and uh, I think. Just going on the odds, I'm going to say Ireland again, being forced to. I'm going to say Ireland by like something like three. They'll just hang on at the end. But of all the years I can see Scotland just clicking and doing this, it's, it's this year again. That forget that first ten minutes last week, but the way their attacks working and that, I, I'm going to go Ireland by three officially. But like, I would not be remotely surprised if Scotland click, you know, click and, and, and get over the line in this one. But it's going to be fascinating. I think it's either going to be like Scotland by like 15 or Ireland by seven. Like, I can't, like, either Scotland, like, everything clicks for Scotland for the full 80 in a way that it hasn't so far. And they play the sort of brand of rugby that they played in the second half against France without any of the sort of fallibility and soft underbelly that they sort of demonstrated in the first half and towards the end. And they win that game comfortably. And all of a sudden, the title is right back on. Or Ireland just turn up, and even though Scotland probably score a couple of really nice tries and, and make Ireland really work for it, Ireland ultimately are just a much more further ahead of them in their development team, and a, yeah. a team that is almost immune to kind of having a a six out of ten day. Like Ireland are always at least an eight out of ten, and occasionally they're a ten at the moment. I think Scotland are going to need the opening 20 minutes that France had last week. I think if Scotland... Yeah. Can, and the case will be... Probably a bit more, if they, to be honest. If they, if they come out and bang it up to 17-0 or something like that, or 17-3, then I think they might just be able to do something because they'll they'll keep picking points up. But I think Ireland are just... They're just a very, very good side, basically. Mm. And, and I've, analysis, by the way, they're a very good side. But, you know, in terms, but it's just... They all know their jobs. They're all fairly solid. Even the people they dropped into the Italy game did okay. And even the people they bring in off the bench are still pretty experienced people who know the system. Um, is Sexton fit again is the only thing I would ask. Apparently so. It's, it's, oh, well, there you go. If Ross yeah. Byrne was starting, I'd be worried. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, from what, it, from what I understand, it's going to be Sexton, Furlong, Ring Rose, and yeah, well, everyone's back, yeah. basically. So again, I think it'll be a great. I don't think it'll be a good game, but I just think Ireland's oh, just got a, that little bit too much. Um, Agreed. And I, I think it's a game. I know. <clears throat> I think it's a game as well that with the World Cup in mind, Ireland have really probably targeted. This is a big one that Farrell will be saying like this is a real test of your ability. 
you know, to win the, mm. like, you know, mm. I think they've kind of, in a way, targeted, they wouldn't have been worried about Wales yet, you know, they <clears> wouldn't be worried about Italy's issue. I think this is one they've really said, look, Scotland, they're hitting form, their confidence is up, you're going away, this is one. And I think they will grind it out to the wrong word because they don't play in the grinding that way now. But I think they will be more, as focused on this in a way that's, as Scotland are. You know what I mean? Like they've targeted this one, I think, and I think they'll just get over the line. And... In, the, in the same way that in the autumn you felt like Ireland just wanted to put down a marker by beating South Africa and they didn't really care how they did it yeah. or how ugly it was. Yeah. They just wanted to sort of... And I feel like equally, you know, Scotland in Ireland's pool this year, Ireland want to go in and put down a marker. And, you know, Scotland will want to as well. But I just think... Ireland are a much more complete team than Scotland are, and as yeah. great as he is being, like Scotland are less, Ireland are less dependent on one player being excellent yeah. for making everything work than Scotland are. And Finn Russell is literally playing a game of professional rugby now, mm. as we speak, because <laughs> Rassing are playing. He's starting for Rassing against Toulouse this evening, and it's like so he's going to be finishing that at about 10, 11 o'clock on a Sunday night, and then he's going to have to play. And he could the, go to pub till Wednesday. Yeah, yeah meanwhile, meanwhile, Johnny Sexton's literally just been sat on a fucking lounger all week. And maybe maybe that, that's, that'll be a good thing, maybe it'll be a bad thing. I don't know, but like, it, it's, it's suboptimal, I would say. I'm saying Ireland by seven, Josh. I would say Ireland by seven as well, yeah. James? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go Ireland by. I'm going to go. I was said three. I'm going to say Ireland by five, six, five, five. So there you go. Slightly mixed bag of predictions there, apart from that final game uh, where we were all pretty much in agreement by the score. So get yourself to Fanzo on the app. Get your predictions in if you're already in the league, so you can make sure you don't miss out on the points. And if you want to join, it's Fanzo. Click on the Guinness Pint Predictor and go to the league and put the code Blood and Mud in to join. Thank you very much indeed, James. You're going to leave us now. Yeah, Thank you very much for your cool. company. Thank you. And if I could just ruin your flow with my shit good nominations, actually, just before I go. Cause oh, yeah, I, of course. Why not? Let's yeah, do that. Uh, yeah. The good was just being home and going to a game, uh, as bad as that was. <laughs> nice. So, the shit thing, I think it was Matthew Carley, was it? It was the um, incredible decision not to give the penalty try for the intercept near the end of the Quinn's Exeter game when he said to the um, TMO, was he deliberately offside or was it a timing thing? Which was, did you see that? <laughs> Which was no. an amazing. So he didn't give a penalty try because he believed it was a timing error that he prevented the try. So like an accidental offside? Yeah. He, but uh, not, because you're not allowed to uh, do that. It was, it was an amazing piece of... I always love every week, it seems, a referee can find a new way to throw up a reason not to give a penalty try. This was a particularly creative one. Was he offside deliberately or was it a timing issue? Because obviously you can read the... So that was a great... I mean, you can read his mind and find out. Yeah. Like... So that was my... Well, I don't know. Actually, it might be a good... I was going to put that as a shit, but it was actually... Just amused me how like the thought process to not not give that yeah. So there's my shit and good. So there you go. Thank you very much indeed, James. Thanks for your time. Well, you're giving us all your time, so you absolutely can ruin the flow as much as you want. So thank mm -hmm. you very much. Yeah, no. Enjoy the rest of your week back in Wales and safe trip back to the che to Chechia. Sorry, as it's known now. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah and uh, we'll speak to you all. Uh, we'll speak to you soon, no doubt. Thanks a lot, mate. Take care. Bye. 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 So with James gone, then we can move into a bit of chat about the weekend, can't we, Josh? Mm. Let's do that now. We say goodbye to our non-patrons. Bye-bye. Bye. And we continue with the weekend. I've got a few bits, Josh, I want to talk about. Oh, um, far away, mate. Um, do you remember when Ryan Mills was talked about? 
And then he stopped being talked about. Yes. And I've been watching him again recently. He's at Sale now. Uh, he was at Worcester, wasn't he? Yeah. And he's now, and I don't know why, he's, and looking at him again, and I have to say myself, I, I, I liked him. And then I forgot about him. And now looking at him, I don't know why he stopped being talked about. He played, like, I mean, all, all of Sale played very well today. He got stuck um, in. But yeah, it's just a, he's a very, very good player. Mm. Um, and he's never in the conversation for squads or anything like that. It's no, a strange one. He, he has that sort of relentless competence thing. Where yes, he's, he like, he's not very flashy. He's probably not like an elite, like top, sort of top echelon athlete. But he's very, very good at everything. Like without sort of ever being exceptional in any of them, you know. But it's and he's thirty now. Obviously yeah, the boat's kind of gone. You know, he's not Hadley Parks, is he? He's probably a bit small, no. if anything. I think some if if he had his skill set and was. He's not small, or... small, but if he was that, if he was like seventeen, he's six foot and fifteen stone, according to sales website. But like, yeah, but if he was like sixteen, seventeen stone, mm. I think maybe you would, uh, people would look a bit closer. But he's a very yeah, I think that's player. what he was. He's yeah. quite. I enjoy, I've enjoyed yeah. catching up on him again. If you don't mm. in the same way that Ryan Crotty was never very good, like uh, exceptional at anything, mm. but just kind of slotted in and just made everybody around him better. I sort of feel like that's what he does with that sail back line. Like he just and like of... all New Zealand centres are not really that good at anything anymore. Yeah. They'd love to have Ryan Crotty back, I think. He's fucking oh God, they'd bite your take your hand off of Ryan Crotty, <laughs> wouldn't they? What have you got from the weekend that we wanna um it's a shame Charles Pierce only plays like that when he's like Actively putting himself in the shop window for somebody to come give him a big contract. Just, I, I wrote, oh, I wrote down here. What is what? What is the point of Bristol anymore? <laughs> I genuinely don't know. And maybe that's yeah. what it is. There are shops you say that people looking but for like, a big contract. I don't know. Like two weeks, or it feels like about two weeks ago. It was probably about a month ago. They were bottom of the table, and now they're seven points off the top four, and they've got a game in hand. So. <laughs> Like they, Bristol, if they if they pick up a couple of wins in the next few weeks, could yeah. genuinely, I don't think they will, but they could certainly sneak into the Heineken Cup. Um, Anyone from could... fourth to ninth is in with a shout. In yeah, this weird which year. shows how silly the Premiership is this year, to be honest with you. But it, it, you know, they beat Bath last week in sort of an almost unwatchable game of battle, genuinely terrible. And you were just like, look at all these expensively assembled players. Fucking Semi Rodranda, fucking Charles Pitt, all you know. What and, they, and this is the fucking Stephen Lewis to it, and this is the fucking what we get is just shitting concrete for 80 minutes. And then Friday night, they were just like, shall we just play some of the best rugby you've ever seen? Um, and, and score three or four try of the season contenders. It, it just in one half and Charles Charles Pierce would literally do a career highlights reel for most players in 40 minutes it was and I know that it was a depleted Northampton team but they weren't that depleted even so yeah indeed yeah <laughs> they weren't that it was this Phil is a team Dowson. in fourth remember yeah Phil Dowson looked ashen 
at the end of that game. Like when he when they talked to him after that game, he looked like a man who genuinely had just watched his house burn down. It was <laughs> and was well you would when somebody put sixty fucking points on you while thing is you know what hammering that with... that look you know what hammering that feel like as a fan, don't you? Imagine if you mm. sat there going, I'm responsible for this yeah. entire performance. <laughs> that was kind of his post match interview was just kind of like we're going to have to own this, and I'm going to have to own this, <laughs> and everyone's going to... I mean, let's not forget, like, Bristol played like most of the last half hour with Andy Urin at fucking fly-off, <laughs> and, and an increasingly knackered Harry Randall sort of very slowly making his way to Rucks. It was... He played very well, Harry Randall. He played actually. really well. So, I mean, everybody did, obviously, but I mean, it's, again, it's how, how soon we forget that he was, you know... The coming thing before JVP. I can't, he know, hasn't played for Eng- he hasn't played for England in a year now, and so in two years' time he could declare for Wales. And I know who looks more like they need a nine at the moment. Speaking of, Alan Davis was out for Saracens today, was he? Indeed. Looking entirely, entirely competent with a physical yeah. relentless competence. Could do with a bit of that. Sensible, um, sensible, half balding, relentless confidence. That's what. That's what you need. Yeah, um, I tell you what, mind. No wonder Exeter are being linked with everyone under the sun at the moment. They're eighteen <laughs> points behind Sale Exeter. They get let that sink in. Exeter at eighteen points behind Sale. Well, if Saracens had won today, they would have confirmed a home semi final in March, at the fifth of March. That should not happen in a twelve team league. Or thirteen, however many it is. Like the 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 gulf between the top two and everyone else is unbelievable, and I just yeah. For all the talk of like, oh, Exeter could get into the playoffs. It's like, yeah, they could, and they would get absolutely battered by whoever they found there. <laughs> I'm sorry, Exeter, a fundamentally flawed team in that. All of the players, and yet broadly the same team. This is the thing, like five percent the same team. Yeah, all the players that they're like the commentators are constantly wringing their hands about the fact that extra are losing them this season look fucking terrible now. So like, (laughs) and the ones that are staying don't look that much cop to be honest. But like you know, fucking hell. Sam Simmons, good luck to him. I say, Sam Simmons, Lord Sam Sir Simmons, MBE. Yeah, fucking Just... yeah, like, but you know, none of the players that are going, like Jack Noel, just fundamentally just not very good anymore. Ian Witten, a hundred and thirty-eight years Witten, old, still 30. somehow. <laughs> Do you remember the first half of that game where he got the intercept on his own line and instantly just passed it to Jack Noel to kick because he knew that. There was literally no. He could literally have a fifty-yard head start on Caden Murley, and Caden Murley would have chased him down at that point. Kerry Jones confirms only eleven teams were in the Premiership. Oh, yes, who can keep track at the moment? Let's be real. All held up by Bath. <laughs> what are Bath trying to do? Like, to be fair, like... they've got they've got about thirteen players left who aren't injured on injured, top of all their other. They, they've also signed most of Worcester and Wasps players to replace them, <laughs> but like, like 
they seem to be trying to be set up to be like this physical forward driven wig and arm wrestle you kind of team. But then they only seem capable of doing that against teams like Bristol that are fundamentally uninterested in doing that. And then a team like Leicester turns up and they're like, oh, forward arm wrestle, is it? Okay, we're going to absolutely batter you then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what I will say, to go back to the Northampton game, sorry, Ash and Phil Downs, I forgot to mention time, was it's it's a bit like we're recording this today that United just lost 7-0 to Liverpool. Teams like Liverpool at home and teams like Bristol can just do this to you on their yeah. day. The, 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 even though they've not had a, they've had a middling season, if you like, the best or middling thing, the best thing that, Yeah, the best thing that Phil Dowson could do is like, oh, we're going to have to own this. We're going to have to look at this. No, the best thing no, you do no, is no. go forget it. They, the best thing Phil Dowson could do is, is literally walk in with the hard drive with that game tape on it and just put it in the bin yeah. and just go forget Attach it. Attach a massive happened. magnet to it and yeah. go, it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> never happened. It did not happen. Who cares? You're right, it is, because it is a kind of, this is going to be more psychologically damaging to try and analyse that absolute fucking shit show that wasn't mm. reflective of either Bristol's usual performance or ours. Yeah. So let's just move on. It's only a truly excellent, exceptional coach that could like turn that into constructive learning and with love and respect <laughs> to Phil Dawson, I don't think he's that. Yeah, indeed. Um, in the Irk... We're now in a world, or maybe we have been for a while, but it's only been brought to sharp relief this weekend, where people are pleased to score 27 points while losing by 20 points against Leinster. And that's, that's, we are literally in the, I bruised his knuckle while he put me in stirrups and repeatedly punched me in the bollocks, basically, is, is where we're at with Leinster now. People, you know, well, only three teams have scored 27 points against them. It's like, what, the, what world are we in now? And, I, you know, in a way, as you said earlier, when we were talking about Mike Blair, Edinburgh have had a decent enough season. Mm. And in a way, this is, this, this is symptomatic of where we are with Leinster now, that people just take the positives. And what we did manage to score 27 points, yeah, but you conceded 47, lads. Mm. It's, yeah, and it's kind of the same with like no team has ever expended so much effort for so little reward than the Scarlets did on Friday night. <laughs> like, as an entertaining a game as that was, it's like you scored all those points and scored all those tries to get like a losing bonus point and a try bonus point. You know? Yes. It's, 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 <laughs> I, it's good that you got those. Don't get me wrong, but it's like, are you gonna like? How is, does that help you in the long run? Really, I don't know if it does. Anything else in the weekend? Um, nothing really. Uh, referees, man. Like <laughs> this, this directive to speed up the game, right, is now to the point where like refs are ignoring TMOs going, no, you've got something wrong. And they go, I don't think I could play on. <laughs> because... was, that, was, that the, was that the Rosian Tempo performance? You see that? <laughs> tempo, it's, it's gone for, I'm not seeing, Rosie, can you, I'm, I'm not seeing it, Rosie. Thing is, Tempo, if you look at this here now, Tempo, these passes are, what the fuck is going on? It sounds like the world's shittest fucking kids programme. It's like, what is the point in the TMO being there if it doesn't go well? I'm watching this on a fucking HD screen, and I'm telling you that this is what is happening. You're watching it from the other end. Of, you're watching it on a stadium video screen, 
which possibly at the other end of the ground, and you're you're saying that you can see this better than I can. Are you? That's the that's what these sort of things have encouraged refs to be. I just it's Andrew Brace was and the, the thing same. Is, that hasn't that hasn't that Ian Tempest thing. It didn't even speed anything up. He spent ten minutes. No. Going, can you show me it eighty-seven times? Yeah. For me to then say there's nothing. Compelling. Instead of going, oh no, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Well, I just watch it once and go, no, nothing compelling. Crack on. Yeah. Or go, oh yeah, well. If you, you, you could probably see better than I can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one way or the other, yeah. One way or the other, just fucking yeah. enough of this, honestly. I'm not seeing it, Rosie. Okay, tempo. <laughs> I find it very oh, yeah, Andrew hard Bray, to respect him. I'd really find it... I, I, if I was a player, I'd find it really hard to be refereed by tempo, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yes. You know, the thing is, because I hadn't quite clocked who it was referring, I kind of, you know, you kind of zoom in with your attention while they're talking. Mm. I was like, who the fucking hell's Tempo? We got a new ref who's, who's from a different background. You know, but his first, <laughs> Tempo, his first name? I don't Who is this? And of course, it like, it would have said, oh, he's fucking Ian Tempest. Of course it is, fuck's sake, sort of thing, yeah. And it was also, it was like about nine, It was, wasn't it was 42-3 at that point? It is like, yeah. why are you spending so much time it's on like, this? I just go, it's 42. And that was blatantly the sort of truth of it. It was like, it was 42-3. Temper just wanted to give Saints a try because he didn't want them to feel that bad. <laughs> like, just, if that's what you're going to do, just do it. Don't, don't pretend like you've seen some stuff. Bizarre. Anything else on the weekend? Nah. Apart from the Osprey's heartbreak, obviously. <sighs> I mean, we were just getting our practice in for being beaten at home by Italian teams, as will become the norm uh, from <laughs> next season. So, yeah. Very good. Okay, that is the end of the weekend. Much shorter than usual, it must be said. So we finish with shit good? We should. Do you have anything that shit you'd like to share with us? Uh, that well, we haven't already discussed. Standing item. <laughs> um, Nick Tompkins, man. Like, <laughs> obviously. Back in a back in a Sarri shirt today, when he was meant Sarri to be competent, shirt. he wasn't. He wasn't. He was. He was terrible, as per. And that's the thing in Sarri shirt. He's supposed to be like where that's where he works usually. Yes. Uh, today he didn't work, and then he gave what was ultimately a game losing penalty away for swearing at the referee. Yes. <laughs> well, speaking of speed, I had a lot of time for the ref um, uh, giving a free kick to say when Saracens are fucking about re huddling on that line out. I, I found a that lot of time tough. for that. Yeah. But what we were, I, uh, do you know, I was reminded of that when we were talking about like the massive over celebration of things that are totally out of your control thing because. Uh, Jean-Luc Dupria, like celebrated that as if they just won the World Cup, and it was like you celebrated the other team getting a free kick against them for time wasting. Like that is, I think it was accumulation of moments, wasn't it? Because they'd nick their it line was. out, hadn't they? John Roche had munted it to touch about three three feet up the field from where the original <laughs> line out was. So they were like, "Oh shit, we have to do this again." And then, of course, they went into a big. And it's funny because the ref just looked at them. Well, no huddles. And they just went, right, fucking about. What are you doing this for? Yeah. Because they were already lined. It's actually an interesting tactic, actually, because Sale just lined up quick, didn't they? Yeah. And so you, the ref's and like, the they're ready to go. You can't hold them now. Team, it makes the offensive team look like they're wasting time, because they are. Let's be real. It's 
like harrying people along and stuff. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Hmm. What else we got the shit here then? Rich Harley gets in touch. He says shit is the performance. That performance probably kept Lamb in the job for another five years. What, what do you mean the length of his contract, Rich? <laughs> <laughs> James Franklin says shit is the minefield that is buying a new TV. QLED, OLED, LCD, LED. It's all foreign to me. I'm going to courage this afternoon at the age of 32 and it's made me feel like a right dinosaur. And I don't know anything about those things. Uh, the reason that I haven't bought a new TV in about five years uh, is because I just I don't know what a good one is anymore, and I can't be asked to learn. It's very important that you have inky blacks, though. I read that on. Yes. There. You know, when you're buying a new phone, every True phone black. review talks about inky blacks on screens. Mm. That's what. I fucked up because I've got this Sky Glass telly. I want a bigger one, and I've realised I've bought it on a fucking credit agreement for the next three years. So it's just all very complicated. <laughs> I mean, I could probably sort it, but it's just fucking hard work, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It is. It is work. Dan Shears gets in touch. Says, shit, his bat injury list. Yes. Uh, the pitch resembled saving Private Ryan at points the number of players down. It makes the Tom Ellis Asari's loan even more of a head scratcher. Yeah, true. Mm. Joe Green gets in touch. He says, everything about Willis Halaholo picking up an injury and now potentially having to leave Wales because of the shocking yet somehow unsurprising clusterfuck that is the WRU. Yeah, he is the kind of um, avatar for all that is wrong, isn't he, really? Except he's a real person who needs to pay a mortgage and look after his family. Yeah, and spoke very eloquently about wanting to stay and had unfinished business with Wales and Cardiff. And, yeah, it's just fucking shit, isn't it? You can't say he's not committed to the club and the nation, can you? You know, James Taplin says... Shit is there having to be a winner in the unlikable bowl between Sale and Saracens today. I don't, I don't, I don't hate Sale really. Not, not as much. Although I have to say, I'm increasingly see, not hateable. As did much. you see Alex Sanderson's t-shirt today? The uh, the Northern Rugby thing. Yeah. Hashtag Northern Rugby Matters t-shirt. Yeah. Which I can see what he's doing. But I think you could have done it in a different way than that. Well, they're they're selling those to raise money for the Sale women's team, which obviously is the sole. Oh, I've missed that above okay. the M twenty five, basically, um, representative in the Premier Fifteens. Because I don't think Durham are allowed it, are being allowed in, or maybe they will be allowed in. I don't know. Either way, but it was funny just seeing all these Sale players wandering around with hashtag Northern Rugby Matters written on it, as if it was some sort of like. It's like Newcastle are right over there, lads. <laughs> They're more northern than you. Uh, Big Welsh Matt says, shit is Andrew Brace. Yes. Yes. we mentioned already. Shall we move on to good? Yeah. What have you got? Anything? Uh, Ray Lilo, man. Another player who, you know, we were talking about players that put bums on seats of clubs every week. Like Ray Lilo obviously is an international player, but he's not going to be, he's never going to be a Wales player. He's never going to be a, a tier one nation international player. So he's broadly there and available of Cardiff every week. He is absolute box office. His handling is sublime. He's one of the better foreign imports that Welsh rugby has had in the last 10 years. Um, the offloading he was doing in the losing cause for Cardiff was absolutely outrageous. And it's sad that he's the sort of player that probably isn't going like that's the sort of player that is not going to be in Welsh rugby in a year or two's time. You know, it's that 
high quality under the radar foreign import that absolutely mm. enriches the week in week out experience of the fan. Yeah, it's true. Neil Webber gets in touch. He says, "Good is ignoring all the glam running. Chris Vuey's try for Briz was magnificent shithousery at its finest." Dude. Yeah, I think he just he did he dummy at the base and then just ran through the ruck basically. Edward Morland says, "Good everything about that Quinn's performance, but especially the back row. Lord A massively stood up in the absence of Don Brandt in a way that we've been needing, and probably should have got man of the match over Smith, who, while definitely mm. good, clearly got it as a narrative pick." Yeah, probably true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was all about the. Uh, the Mike Hemming. Mike Hemming jumps on that and says, "Good was rugby Jesus. He was sublime, mm. slotted straight back in, pulled an absolute masterclass." Yeah, he he's a, I mean, he's a wonderful player when he's on it. I mean, nobody's denying yeah. that. I mean, I think that's probably why he's like, but like, if this was an Eddie Jones situation, then yeah, it would be he was sending him away to teach him a lesson. But I don't think Borthwick is that kind of man or that kind of coach. It blatantly no. was just like, go away, do what you put on Get your the ball in your hands. Yeah, yeah, go and put your Superman pants on for Quinns. Remind yourself of what you do and how you do it and how you take a game by the scruff of the neck and dominate it and then come and do that in a 10 jersey in Twickenham again in a week's time. And that's, you know, whether that works or not, we'll see. But, you know. Dan Shears says that good is Tigers grinding out three wins in a row to climb to third, even with up to nine of their squad missing through the Six Nations. Fringe players and golden oldies coming good when needed. Yeah, they've got that ridiculous bat line, haven't they? That's for 40-year-olds. 40-year-olds on Harry Potter, who's having to do all the running. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Patricia says, finally says, good RG Snayman playing yes. an actual game of actual rugby union and long may it continue. I'm loving his, uh, his rehab look as well. Yeah. yeah. The mohawk and beard is a... Uh, Right, is that us? Have you got any more goods? Are we done? No, I think we're done, aren't we? I think we're done, yeah. We've had a bit of a slightly shortened one this week. God, who'd have thought it? In between the Six Nations, see, bridging bridging episode. It is. Well, I'll speak to you next week after, well, we'll see what happens in Italy-Wales, won't we? Indeed. We'll we'll be back here next Monday. Thanks, no everybody. Or, or a little bit more depressed, depending on how it goes. I reckon you're going to pretend your voice has gone again. Probably, yeah. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Thanks to James, even though he's gone. Um, Indeed, the book is lovely. I would advise you to have a look. It is a nice, nice book. And I'll speak yes. to you all soon and you as well. Bye-bye. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.